Hi, this is Dr. Jose Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And in my podcast journey, my podcasting journey, I guess, um, it's allowed me the wonderful opportunity to connect with folks, folks I went to school with, folks I went to school with and didn't know, <laughs> didn't really know while we were in school together. And so that's the case with my guest today. Um, I was connected to my guest today through a mutual friend. She has, I'm sure she has a wonderful journey and a wonderful story, and I, I invited her on to, to share that with us today. Uh, I apologize for any background noise. My, my neighbors have a, a, a loud truck, and <laughs> it's running outside, so I want to let our guests know, our listeners know. Um, but Brenda, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, thank you so much, Jose, again, for inviting me, for um Having this podcast, it's so important to have something like this out there. So I really appreciate um, you reaching out to me and having me be a guest here and also the work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Uh, my name is Brenda Chavez. I am a first-generation Chicana. Um, my parents uh, came here in the 60s. So I have two older siblings that were um, born here in L.A. And... Um, I'm currently an attorney and um, I have my own practice. I'm 10 years into my own practice. I'm an entertainment and business attorney. I went to Stanford, which is um, our alma mater. And I, for law school, I went to Columbia in New York. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot in between <laughs> all of these things that you've done. And but Brenda, I always ask my my guests this really important question at the beginning and kind of to get us going is if you had to identify the beginning of your educational journey, what would that moment be for you? Well, thank you. I think that's um, I would say that it would be my mom, um, us hopping on the bus. Um, I live I grew up in Pico Union and um I don't think it, there was a local library. There wasn't one until I was in high school in Pico Union. So my mom, when I was little, she would, we would hop on the, at the time, RTD, and we would head into downtown LA. And at the time there was, and, and it's still there now, but there was, you know, there was a period when the, the, the library was closed due to a fire. But, um, but when I was little, my mom would take me there and my mom loves reading. So I would say my mom is also has always been and continues to be an inspiration for me. So um, she would take me to this huge library in downtown L.A. And, um, you know, she would pick out books for herself and then we would head over to the children's section. And um, I it was like being in a candy store for me just rows and rows of kids books and I could pick whatever I wanted you know the, the limit my mom would allow me and I just love that so I think from a very early age you know I had my mom as a role model who um who always was reading even to this day my mom is 81 years old and she still she still always has a book you know that she's reading and um and then going to the library and reading and reading. So loving, um, learning to read um, early on and, and, and loving that, just escaping in, into books. That's, um, thank you. That's such a beautiful story. And I, I can imagine, you know, I can imagine the two of you getting on the bus and, and taking the bus downtown. Um, so I, I imagine given the, your mother's love of reading, giving just the, 
the journey of it, right? Like making the trip, like that's a commitment. I I would guess your your parents, your mother felt the same way about your own education. Would would you, was that is that easy to say that just as reading was important and she was able to teach you that reading was important, was education stressed for you in your life? Yes, I think I knew. Um, I knew that it, you know, it was important to my mom. She herself has her own journey, you know, grew up very poor in a very poor poverty in Mexico, I think is different than poverty here. So um, very poor in Mexico. And uh, she actually got a scholarship to go to a, uh, a private um, school in Mexico. So that's where she graduated. And at the, in Mexico, it's different because graduating for high school for her was also meant she was graduating with a um, a degree, I guess. So she was, uh, she was a secretary in Mexico. And so I grew up hearing her stories, which also involved being exposed to all these rich kids that made fun of her and, you know, and because her stole her uniform or her father had bought her a typewriter that was missing keys. So I grew up hearing these stories. So I knew it was important to her. But I have to tell you, there's another story. When I was very little, I don't know, maybe in second grade, I got mad at my mom. You know, there was some argument or whatever, you know, and um, and I remember telling her, oh, I'm not going to do good in school anymore. We, we speak in Spanish. So it was something like that. And I don't remember the words, but it was something like that. And she says to me, well, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, well, it's that's fine. You know, it's it's. You, you, you know, something like that, which means you're you're the one that's going to suffer the consequences. And by then, I have to tell you that I already um I already was getting positive attention at school. And then I thought about it. You know what? I went to um, my local elementary school in Pico Union and they would give out coupons for a McDonald's. <laughs> believe it or not and so when you get a perfect attendance or you were student of the week or what have you you would get your little coupon to go to the mcdonald's and get a happy meal and i remember thinking oh my god she's right i like this i like the the, the coupons i like the happy <laughs> meals i like the positive attention i'm getting at school so i think that was for me a very much a turning moment because for me doing well in school at that age very early on i realized what's for myself not for my mom. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I, I, um, so in Texas, in, in South Texas, I remember it was uh, personal pan pizzas. <laughs> they would give us the little coupons for, for a free personal pan pizza. And I, you know, like you, I think it helped to reinforce, right. You know, getting, I mean, I don't know, for me, I always saw it as my own, right. My own, it's my own pizza. Like, wow, I'm, I'm this important person now, instead of sharing, having to share with my family, right. I get my own pizza. Um, so I love, I love that story and I love the parallels. So Brenda, I often asked my guests, um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I, I, it wasn't until I was like in fifth grade or so that my sister had a uh, friend who was studying to be an actor. And then I thought, oh, well, that sounds interesting, you know, and so I said that, <laughs> but um, I'm definitely not, not, not an actor. Um, so I think that was it. But the first uh, real, you know, once I was in high school, the first real profession I thought I might have was to be a civil rights attorney. 
So um, I saw Gloria Allred. I don't know if you know who that is, but she's a a, a civil rights feminist uh, attorney. Uh-huh. And I saw her on TV when I was in high school. And I had no idea what she did or who she was. And I remember she was speaking with another civil rights attorney next to her. And I just remember being in awe of whatever she was saying and how she was speaking. And I thought, whatever she's doing, you know, I want to do. And I had no idea what it meant, you know, to say that I would want to be an attorney yeah. because I had never met an attorney. Um, you know, I'm as I shared earlier, I'm first generation. My father was a janitor. My mom would sell vitamins uh, for Shockley and then Avon. Avon. So um, I just had no idea what I was getting myself into, to tell you the truth. Um, I So maybe before we started recording, I was telling you about how I created the podcast because I think a lot of times we, we have these ideas about I want to be an attorney or I want to be a doctor, but we don't know anybody doing that work. And so we don't know the how to get there. Right, um, because it's often not as easy as just going from point A to point B. There's a lot that happens in between, right? And so I appreciate you sharing that. Now I, I want to ask though, because I think it's one thing to say I wanted to be an attorney or I want to be an attorney, but for you that it was very specific, civil rights attorney. Why is that? Like how you know? Well, thank you. That's a great question because, yes, it definitely, I, unfortunately, my home life wasn't, um, you know, I had my mom as an inspiration. I had my older siblings, but um, there were a lot of traumas in my home, let me just say. So it was not a, a healthy, uh, loving home life. And, um, and you know, my father was a machista and, um, you know, by the time I came along, there was no... Um, you know, I never saw him beat my mom, but there were certainly a lot of stories. Um, and my mom, I realized, was that even then, even though there were no more beatings, a battered wife. And um, and I actually stood up for my foot to my father a lot. And 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 we would have, and I appreciate, despite you know the fact that he wasn't a good father, I appreciate that he would allow me to engage him. And I and I mean that because you know he was the man of the, the you know he he wouldn't. Um, he allowed me to engage him in, 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 in challenging him. So I remember uh, just having uh, discussions with him about, you know, why do should a woman, you know, just be in the house or why or why does a woman have to cook? And um, at the time, the neighborhood I grew up in was mainly Mexican and there was a big influx of Salvadorians and there was conflict. So I would hear these things from my older, you know, just family members and, and I... And I would challenge them, whether it was their racism, sexism, you know, and and I had no idea. I just felt that these things were wrong. I felt like um, like it shouldn't be, you know, what they were saying I didn't agree with, even though I didn't really know any other way to be. I just knew that, um, um, you know, that I had this voice. So I, I'm grateful that I was allowed to express that voice. And so... I think that's where it came from. I've always had this um, 
even now, you know, I'm not a civil rights attorney. Like I said, I'm a business and entertainment attorney, but a lot of the people that I work with, a lot of my clients are also Latina, Latino, or queer. I'm bisexual myself. And um, I do, I'm an advocate for them. And I appreciate that. And I really, a lot of the people that I work with are also, you know, working artists, first generation as well. And um, not everybody, but a, a good number of my clients are like that. And, and so even though I'm not a civil rights attorney, I do feel like I continue to be an advocate and I appreciate that. You know, I often um, encourage my students to find connections in their lives those moments that really stand out that that are significant that they remember for whatever reason and so i i appreciate you pointing out one that your father in spite of his shortcomings still provided that space for you like you said for you to engage him but then also just for you to at such a young age have this very critical awareness of what's going on around you and injustice and right and wrong right um and even needing maybe to be a voice for people. Um, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think, a, you know, I, I often tell the students that I work with that I think early on I, I, I didn't pay attention to those things. I recognized, so I, I'm absolutely, a lot of the work that I've done has been in regards to like equity and access and access right to education but those were things that I was aware of but didn't pay attention to till I was much older so I, I know we'll we'll get to your time at Stanford but I know while I was at Stanford you know I was blind to those experiences up until maybe my junior year and I think it was then that I started to pay attention to like you know those were moments in my life where I, I was absolutely paying attention but I, I don't know. I, I was focused on other things and wasn't paying attention to those things. So I appreciate you talking about, one, that space, but then also just being aware of your context and, and your surroundings and the people around you. I thought that I think that's really cool. So you're growing up in Pico Union, first generation, Chicana. And how, how do you go from your neighborhood, from your environment to Stanford? <laughs> How does that that how does that happen? Because I'm sure there's a story there. Again, it's not necessarily as easy as going from point A to point B. What happened? Well, thank you for asking. There definitely is a story. I, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, like I said, inner city. There was gang. Um, there was a lot of gang activity already in the '80s. This is the '80s Pico Union not a safe neighborhood you know i grew up with a um uh, there were bars on the windows you know that kind of environment um and i shared also that i didn't have the best uh loving home life so school from a very early age you know um and it, you know i and i mentioned positive attention it became definitely an escape for me and um and I and I did like the positive attention I caught, so I did, you know, push myself to, uh, to, you know, to to do good in school, to do well in school, and um, so I was tested early on in um, I, I would say about second grade, except that my mom doesn't remember ever signing any anything. It's possible she did and just didn't realize what she was signing. So I remember being taken out of my classroom and being put into a small room with this older uh, very old gentleman who uh, gave me all kinds of tests and then after that i now realized that i was um 
put into a, so after that, so this was second grade. So after that, there was another student and myself, always in every classroom, it was myself and probably him. I still remember him, Noe Castro. I never, I've never known what, what's happened to him. I've looked for him, but I don't know what's happened to him. So it was always the two of us. And we would, um, there would be like a person that would come in and, and uh, give us um, just special classes. We were put in, you know, just uh, given more attention, I would say. But I didn't realize that it was because we had both tested gifted. So I didn't know that. So in fifth grade, um, long story short, there was a, a, a problem with another kid at my school who told his older sister something. And this young woman from uh, the local junior high came by to beat me up and you know, and um, that's the only time I was ever in, that's the closest I've ever been to a fight. And um, my mom obviously heard about this and she said, and the young woman said, you know, when next year, when you go to the, the local junior high, she's like, I'm going to beat you up. And she was, it seemed to me in a gang. And my mom just said, oh no, you know. Um, so my mom had been active in PTA and she uh, uh, found me a school in, in another neighborhood. Uh, where I went just for sixth grade. So I didn't go to the local junior high. And in that school, um, I was placed in the classroom and a teacher came by and took me out of that classroom. And he had uh, Ray Fesquid and he actually has written a book. And now I know that he's he's a very influential in education in the, in the, uh, in the school system. Uh, so he had a, a a classroom with fifth and sixth graders that was just uh, all the, the gifted kids. And that was the first time I even knew that I had tested gifted. And that allowed me and opened up doors because after once I was in his classroom, you know, he taught us Shakespeare. He taught us. I had so a lot of these things I, you know, went over my head, but it definitely helped uh, help me later when I was introduced to them. It helped me to have been exposed to them at, in sixth grade. And so through him, I realized there were these schools out there that were called magnet schools and that I could apply to them and that I would qualify. And so I have to tell you that I just randomly picked the school because I liked the name and it was Palms Junior High. There was All I had was an application with uh, the list of the names. And so I went to Palms Junior High into the Gifted Magnet Program. So I was bused out there and I would take the RTD again uh, to the same stop that most of the kids in my neighborhood were taking, but they would walk over to the junior high and I would walk over to the bus stop because that bus, the school bus didn't go all the way to my neighborhood. Um, and then from there, I would get bused into the Palms Junior High and I was there for a couple of years and my homeroom teacher, her husband worked at Windward and Windward is a private school in the west part of LA. And it's part of um, a group of schools called independent schools. And so she told me about Windward and long story short, I ended up going to Windward on a scholarship for high school for ninth to 12th grade. And Windward just was a life changer for me. It changed the course I think of my life. If it hadn't been for me going to Windward, I actually think I there was a good chance I would have gone to Belmont, which was my local high school, which was you know thousands of kids at that school. And instead I went to Windward where my graduating class was 39. There were 39 of us. Wow. And uh, most classes were um you know the bigger uh the general subjects uh were 15, 16 of us. 
Um, and the smallest class I had at Windward, I think, was AP Spanish Literature, and there were three of us. So a lot of the AP classes I took, there was just a handful of us. Uh, Windward was amazing. It just exposed me to this whole world that I didn't even know existed. Um, so in my educational journey, you know, I went to my local inner city public school. Then I went to, um, uh, you know, Palms Junior High, which was I got bused out there to the magnet program. And then I went to Windward. And um, and that's how I, I I don't think if it hadn't been for Windward, I don't think I would have gone to Stanford because one, I had never even heard of Stanford. Yeah. Um, but once I was at Windward, I, I realized that, you know, these schools were out there, that I that it was achievable of me, that did something that I could do. And so, um, you know, my college counselor at Windward, definitely, she was kept pushing me for me to go to Brown. She wanted me to apply to Brown. Um, but uh, but I, I had no idea, you know, East Coast, it was just the concept of that was just too much. So I really, um, you know, I like uh, that Stanford was still in California, not too far from home. Yeah. And um, and that's how I ended up at Stanford, I think, because of Windward and, and that whole everything that happened prior to that, which also involved uh, teachers, uh, you know, definitely involved um people wanting to make a difference, I think, and, and me being lucky enough as well to encounter teachers that cared and wanted to to help. You know, I appreciate you. One, I love your story, but I appreciate you acknowledging that. A few, so um, on another episode that I recorded, I was interviewing another Stanford alum and uh, asking about his journey and he talked about how you know there is this I don't know this expectation that a narrative right like that that somehow it was planned and somehow like oh all of this you know doing this this and this and and got him into Stanford and he he was reflecting on it because he was retelling a story about um, an interview for a, um, an internship while he was at Stanford and he said they asked about his siblings because his siblings didn't go to college but he did and he talked about luck and he said just people that intervened in his life that it wasn't necessarily anything that he planned for but people saw something in him and they created opportunities for him and he was able to take advantage of that and so it was these series of events and i so i appreciate your story i I know with mine had there not been key individuals intervening in my life i don't know that i would have gone in fact no i wouldn't have gone to stanford heck no right so i appreciate that um and i and i think right since this this podcast is all about stories and 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 our our life trajectories right I do want to reiterate one of the big reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to kind of disrupt the narrative that that it is point A to point B, and it's not, right? It, it, it's a combination of so many factors that impact and influence what we do with our lives and the paths we choose or the paths we take. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to explain right everything that happened that create, made it possible for you to go to Stanford. So... Brenda, the next question that I have for you then is, so you're at Stanford, and were you still thinking about, I'm, I'm going to go to Stanford, and I'm still wanting to be an attorney, or what was your perspective heading into Stanford? I uh, Yes, 
even then, even then I didn't, I had never met an attorney, you know, um, until I got to Stanford and Stanford doesn't have a pre-law program. I, don't, I just got it in my head that that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't, um, I didn't know what it meant to, 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 to get there. And I didn't know what law school entailed. I mean, I had no idea. Um, but the, uh, so, um, Let's see. I I met an attorney for the very first time when I I was at Stanford and the the alumni center set me up with an attorney uh, mentor. And so she's the one that uh, explained to me what it meant uh, to practice. She's the one that explained to me what it meant to be a litigator, which is what civil rights attorneys are versus a transactional attorney. And so I... um, I, I was just sharing about this, the one mentor that, you know, that's the first time she's the first lawyer that I met, which was uh, set up through the alumni center. And uh, because Stanford doesn't have a pre-law program. So that's, and she would take me out to lunch and we would talk and, and she was great. I, and she's the one, she's a, that explained to me the difference between, you know, the different types of attorneys that there are. And she explained to me the difference between litigators and transactional attorneys. And currently I'm a transactional attorney, which means I don't go to court. I just draft and negotiate contracts. And um, and once I, I learned more about the differences and what it entailed, I realized, oh, you know, I, I don't, despite this fire that I had in me, which is what prompted me, I think, down this path, um, I realized that that wasn't something I actually wanted to do, you know, was to fight and and uh, in court, I mean. And uh, so the, the life that I lead now is very different. Like I said, I have my own practice now. I did start off at, you know, big law firm in New York. Um, but currently my life is very calm. You know, everybody I deal with, for the most part, you know, people want their, it's amicable. People want, you know, they're, they hire me because they want to sign something and they just need help negotiating it or having the contract explained to them. So for the most part, they're amicable situations. And that that is definitely a fit for me. So um, so I never deterred. You know, I once I got it in my head that this is what I wanted, even before I knew what it meant, I definitely, uh, you know, explored that path. And something I'll tell, you know, even now when I meet students or kids that want to pursue being an attorney, I think... I, I I really love what I do, you know, and I love the flexibility that it gives me. Um, like I said, like having my own practice now, especially. And with this degree, you know, it's a three-year degree and I have a Juris Doctorate, so I could also teach. I could be a professor. I could pretty much, I still feel like I could do anything. You know, I, I'm not I'm not boxed into my profession. You know, yeah. with the skills that I have, I, I, I really do feel like... I mean, I, I personally think I'll probably be an attorney forever because I, I at this point, I'm almost 20 years into my practice and I enjoy it. And, and I, I, I really enjoy the intellectual stimulation. You know, every every single client, you know, that I deal with, I, I, I even now, almost 20 years in, I, I'm still learning new things. And I like that. I like that I'm always um, dealing with, even if it's the same subject matter, I'm doing something a little different. So I enjoy that. And I enjoy networking and, you know, finding my own clients. So um, all of that is great. But in general, it's a degree where I could do anything with it. You know, I could, 
go work in the nonprofit sector. I could start my own company. I mean, I have that skill set and uh, or I could teach, you know, um, I'm not saying that any of those would be easy paths, but they're doable. Like I feel with this degree that I, I have that flexibility and that ability to do almost anything I want still. So I love that. And, and, and I mentioned that because I learned uh, through that mentor, um, you know, that when I applied to law school, that it wouldn't matter what my major was. So I was able um to basically pick classes. And, and by the way, I was part of the first, I think there were five or six of us uh, that first year that was part of the first uh, Chicana, Chicano Studies uh, major graduate. Uh, this was back in 1999 at Stanford. So uh, as you know, a few years prior to us, there were people that went on hunger strikes and protested to have this happen. And you know, by the time I graduated in 1999, I was part of the first class. Um, but all of that, you know, I was actually double major with sociology and Chicano, Chicano studies, but all of that, um, all the classes I picked and pretty much everything I did was because I found it interesting because I was interested in it and I didn't have that pressure of like, oh my God, am I going to be able to make a living from this? I just took classes because they sounded interesting. Um, and so I really, except for the general requirements, I was definitely forced to take classes, some classes that I, that I, you know, would have rather not taken. But, um, but for the most part, I love that flexibility about, you know, having, um, knowing that I would apply to law school and, and that would be my journey. And now that I'm an attorney, I still have that flexibility, I feel. So I just want to put it out there again, because I didn't know this and I had never Prior to college, I never met an attorney, didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I'm definitely a, a proponent for people considering this. Um, it is, you know, I just have to tell you, I have being a lawyer, you know, that's been a whole journey in and of itself. I started off at a big firm in in, um, in New York. And I said, I, I, as I shared, I have my own practice, but it, it is still a lot of, you know, I am often, you know, the only uh Definitely the only Chicana, definitely um, in these intersections, you know, being queer, bisexual, Chicana, first generation. Um, it is, I have to tell you, it has been my experience at the firm environment. It is mainly a white male environment. And um, I know we're on this on Zoom, so you can't see, but I'm actually, I'm short. So I'm a small woman. So it's, you know, there's a size difference. There's, there's just... Um, you know, so a lot of the things that I've encountered in my life in terms of uh, being the only whatever, you know, fill in the blank, you know, that still continues to be the case, which I think is also how I get a lot of um, why a lot of my clients, why, you know, they reach out to me because a lot of them are through referrals and their people uh, refer me because I think, you know, I, I relate to a lot of my clients, like I said, being yeah. Latina, Latino, first generation, queer um people, you know, creative people, etc. So there, there was a lot, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack there because I think, so a couple of things, um, and I don't, I don't think I've shared this with you. So I majored in Chicano, Chicano studies too. Um, so, um, but, and I took the classes because those were things that I liked. And I think for me, I, I remember feeling a little pressured to make a decision, but I was, I'd started taking classes, right? because we had that flexibility that just sounded interesting. And I was learning so much about myself and my culture. 
um, there was that little bit, that voice in the back of my head reminding, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> what is it that you're going to do when you're, when you're done, right? But that's, that's another story. But one thing that I do want to come back to is, is this mentor, is this, this, you know, the attorney that, that helped explain, right, and break down what attorneys do. Um, one of the themes, and, and of course, as I put the podcast together, and I, I don't know what number interview this is for me, maybe like 61 or 62 episodes that I've done. But a theme that, is a, that has a recurring theme is mentorship. And I recognize that, right? We've already talked about some of the folks that have sort of interceded in your life. And I always remind my students, I encourage young people, you know, open your eyes to the people that are one trying to help you. If you don't, if there aren't, if you can't identify those people, right? seek out mentorship. I feel like, you know, it, um, we were fortunate that people, I think, came to us and identified us and said, you know, and, and sort of came forward as mentors for us. But I, I, I think young people can do that, knowing, right, that I, I should be looking for a mentor. There are people there out there that, that can probably help me and have some experience that can share with me. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, and then just talking about sort of breaking down I think a lot of assumptions about, oh, if I want to go to law school, I have to major in X, Y, Z. And so I, I love that you share that. No, you don't. You can major in Chicano Chicano studies or double major in Chicano Chicano studies and, and sociology, right? Or, or any, you know, anything else. So I really appreciate you walking us through that journey. I, one thing that I didn't get to ask you was, I think for a lot of first-gen students, for a lot of college students, right? The transition from high school to college can be traumatic, can be obviously challenging. What was that transition like for you? Well, this is where Woodward comes in because I I can honestly tell you that I felt prepared. Um, I know, um, you know, the first year, especially because I came, you know, Woodward, I was one of one of six Latinos in the whole school. You know, um, it wasn't a very big school, but still, you know, there were class differences ethnic racial differences and so I um I wanted to live you know I I chose to live I picked uh, and I got picked to live in Casa Zapata and so I I got um and then later I worked at Centro Chicano so I I know I heard a lot of other people's stories and I know that it was for a lot of other students it was tough and I can honestly tell you that Winward really did prepare me um I really did feel prepared for at least the academic part of it you know um for that rigorous, uh, the challenges, you know, of, of being a college student for the first time. And so, you know, for, if anything, you know, Windward is where I experienced having gone to the, you know, the public schools before, public schools before that, and then being in that environment. That's where, you know, I, I feel like that was my major transition, you know, was that Windward? But once I was yeah. at Windward, I really did have a lot of help and um, a lot of teachers, a lot of different teachers cared. And it, it really was a nurturing environment in that sense for academia. So when I got to Stanford, I did, I came in with AP credits already. I I knew what to do. I mean, it doesn't, I, mean, I obviously still had a lot to learn, but I didn't feel lost is what I'm saying. Okay. I felt like I was up for the challenge because Windward was that challenge for me. Had prepared you. Okay. They are. They're all of the Windward is just one of many 
schools like it, you know, that they're college prep schools and yeah, and they do, they focus on that and they do prepare you. I feel later, just, just to add, you know, one other thing that I did. So in between um, law school and, and after having graduated uh, Stanford, I took a year off. I, I need, I wanted to take a year off and just take a break. And so what I did was I worked at a nonprofit called uh it has a very long name it's called the independent school for um the independent school alliance for minority affairs and they call it it's called the alliance for short and it's a nonprofit that helps to racially integrate schools like windward um and there's a lot of them here in uh, you know the la area there's i don't know even about 30 of them um and and then um Anyhow, I think I'm sorry. That's my train of thought, but um, but uh, anyhow, that's how I know about a lot of the other schools too. Was when I worked at at the Alliance, I was I was the Latina Latino outreach coordinator, and I I really did get to know a lot of the different schools. Yeah, you know, you're at Stanford. You've still got the idea and and the the goal of becoming an attorney. How many law schools did you apply to? Did you know, like, was there a law school that you specifically wanted to go to or what's, what was that process like for you? Um, I thought I might even take another year off. So I applied the year that I applied. I did. I, I have to tell you that I just looked at the rankings and I applied to the top five schools (laughs) plus two more, not necessarily with the intention of going, you know, I just thought, well, let me see what happens. And, um, and Columbia at the time happened to be, I think it was number three that year. And um, and that's how I ended up at Columbia. You know, and even then when I got in, they, um, I wasn't sure that I would go. I, I never thought I would live in New York or the East Coast necessarily, but Columbia had uh, a great outreach, you know, program, I guess, because they flew me out, you know, I I got in and next thing I know, I had an offer with a plane ticket, you know, to go visit the school. And I thought, well, trip to New York. Sure. I'll go (laughs) again, not, not even thinking I'm going to do it, you know, that I would actually go there. And once I was there, I, um, the school did great. You know, there were the Latino students at Columbia, the law school, they, you know, they, they uh, were organized and definitely um, welcomed the, the potential students. At that point, I went as a potential student. And I just, I had never, you know, I'd been to New York once before, um, but and I never thought I would live there, you know. <laughs> but once I was there and I, I and I, I could just picture it and I, I actually have to tell you, I fell in love and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to live here. I can this is definitely something I can do. Um, and that's how I ended up there. How did you go from you, I think recognizing right early on that you were maybe more interested in doing the transactional law, right. Versus the litigating. When did you know you wanted to practice entertainment law? I think it was then. It was like, especially, like I said, uh, having talked to that mentor, realizing what the differences are, you know, you see a lot of, even if I hadn't met any attorneys, you know, a lot of movies and TV shows, you definitely see attorneys, but a lot of them are litigators, you know, and they, um, so I still didn't know, even though now I knew there was a difference between litigators yeah. and transactional attorneys, 
I really didn't know what a transactional attorney really did. Um, but once I was at Columbia, you know, I um, the first year, by the way, this is true of all law schools, except for Harvard has one exception with, where in this, I, I forget now what it is, but a class is slightly different. But for the most part, no matter what school, law school you go to, the first year they're, they're um everybody takes the same classes, Hmm. you know, it's the same classes across the nation. And so one of the classes that I took was contracts law. And I thought, Oh, this is interesting. You know, I like this. And for me, it just solidified that this is something I could do. Not really knowing what it entailed yet. And I don't even tell you the truth. I don't think I knew what it entailed until I was out in the workforce because, um, I think law schools, a lot of them, and now it wasn't just Columbia, they prepare you for to litigate. They prepare you, you know, you have moot court. Um, that experience as well solidified for me that that was in my path. Um, so I volunteered. I did a um, an internship with, um, at, it's an organization in New York called Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. And uh, I myself am interested, I write, and I'm interested in artistic endeavors. So that's how I thought, oh, well, this is something, you know, if I could learn the law behind this. And I just felt like if one day I chose to take this path, then at least I would, could negotiate my own contracts or something. I don't know <laughs> what I thought, but but I thought that would be interesting. I thought entertainment law, you know, I, I, could, I didn't know what I could see, but I felt like that could be interesting. So from very early on at Columbia, I, I started pursuing, you know, um, that path. I, did it help at all that, you know, if you were going to practice entertainment, entertainment law, that it would, I mean, it, it seems, and, and of course, this is my naivete speaking, right? If I'm going to practice entertainment law, I should probably be in L.A., so is was that? That is a nice about- coincidence. Yes, yeah. I always knew, even <laughs> even when I was in New York, that whole time I I really did enjoy, um, you know, being there. And then I stayed to work out there for a bit. And but I always knew I would come back to LA. You know, this is where my mom is. This is where my family is. And and I love the city. I have to tell you, I, I was born and raised here, and I have. I'm just. I feel very lucky about that. I feel like the city has. A lot to offer. So I was, I always knew I would come back and it certainly helps. Yes. That this is, um, this is where a lot of things happen in the entertainment industry. And, um, and I'm also still licensed in New York. So I still have clients, you know, that uh, come to me, you know, that are New York clients or they have deals or maybe we pick New York law. So, you know, these, it, that was a nice coincidence. I didn't plan that, but, but I now am licensed in New York and California and, um, you know, this is the two places basically where a lot of entertainment things happen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So to think going from Pico Union, right, talking about the environment, right, where you grew up, your neighborhood, to Stanford, to Columbia, to your own practice, your own law practice. Um, congratulations. That's well, thank really, you. really awesome. Um, you know, Brenda, I, I want to be mindful of our time together um, and your time, be respectful of your time. So are there any final words or pieces of advice you'd like to share with our listeners out there? Thank you for, for asking that. Thank you. I, <clears throat> you know, you just said something about the journey, right? Coming from Pico Union and, and being, you know, 
having just looking back at you know whatever that decades were for me to be where I'm at now and um I almost want to say that I want to speak to that little girl of me as 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 a, a point of advice for others because I shared with you that my home environment wasn't um wasn't a, a good one it wasn't a healthy one and and so for any students you know I know I'm not the only one you know that have suffered traumas or don't come from healthy home environments is that that you can you know I I some of the things that I that I experienced you know I can honestly tell you are things that um definitely could have led me down the path of even suicide drug addiction you know prostitution and I don't say that lightly um and instead I had this fire in me that just you know where and then school you know school was that escape for me like I said and so if anything I want to say to anybody that is suffering depression or has had a tough home life or has suffered anything like that um know that there there I guess I, I know it sounds cheesy but I want to say there is a light at the end of the tunnel you know it, it hasn't been an easy journey for me um school was something I I enjoyed and I liked but personally there was a lot of healing that I needed to do to get to where I'm at now and and this you know um so if anything, I know it's not about education, but um, just for whoever, you know, whatever your healing journey is, is that you can definitely, um, there's a lot of people out there, not just mentors to help you with school, but also to help along that healing journey. And um, and when it comes to school, I have to say that I know there's a lot of pressure and there's competition and everything, but when you're a student, especially, it's such a unique time in your life. You know, there's so many things you can do. We didn't even talk about. Definitely one piece of advice I would give to people is look at um, internships or summer programs outside of the U.S. You know, just I know um, when I went to Windward, you know, I um, for the very first time I met kids that went to Europe for the summer, you know, that did things like that. I had no idea. And I got it in my head, you know, well, if they can do it, then so can I. So. I looked into a program at the time. It's, I don't, you know, I think it's still around. It's called the American Field Service. And I was a, a summer student. Uh, this was when I was in high school to uh, in Paris. And then um, I was placed with a, a black, a French family. Um, so that was an interesting, you know, just seeing that immigrant, they were immigrants, you know, to, uh, to Paris, you know, they were uh, right outside of Paris in Villejuif. So just seeing all those connections and um, similar experiences in some ways, you know, in terms of that immigrant experience with that family. And um, I would say, and it definitely helped, I think, you know, for my college application. And then when I was at Stanford, I also did, uh, I did two summer programs. Uh, I mean, not summer programs. I did two overseas programs. One in, I went back to Paris and then I did a Mexico one. And um, I, I know those also helped for me getting, you know, it, it definitely helped uh, for law school, I think. And then having had those experiences and there's more, you know, there's other um, international experiences that I had that when I put them on my resume and I was interviewing for jobs out of law school, I know that those were points of conversation and people thought those were interesting experiences. Um, so I would definitely suggest that people look into international experiences 
I think, you know, it's very competitive out there. I know that. I recognize that. Um, and so I think an international experience is definitely a way to distinguish yourself. Not to mention all the personal growth and just, you know, whatever you're going to experience on that journey. Yeah. And I know that for me, it's also connected to my healing journey. Just being on my own at 16 for the very first time and getting on a plane by myself and flying out and having that experience, I can honestly tell you was also looking back, I realized was definitely a necessary step in my case or, or it was an instrumental uh, step in terms of my healing journey. Wow. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I, I have to ask this because it's just kind of dawned on me before we go. <laughs> to do, a, I think, a lot of the things that you did, right? To travel and study abroad as a as a high school kid, you know? And the thought of leaving home for me was so scary. And, you know, I'm, I'm an only child, but um, I, I did it. And I remember getting it in my head early on, like, I'm going to go away for school and, and sort of, and, and so my parents and I had that conversation, but I don't know, for you as a high school student to take that journey and to go and study and, and just, you know, you talked about your healing journey. Where do you get, where did you get the bravery? Because I think it, it is, it, it, to, to venture out of your own neighborhood is one thing and, and your surroundings and the community that helped to raise you. And I'm going to go and study in Paris for a summer. Like, where does one get that? Because I want some of that. <laughs> I think it was seeing other people, you know, at that point I was already at Windward, just seeing others... And I think it might be related to my home life. I mean, for me, there was, it was, uh, it was an escape. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, um, I didn't know what it, what all of that would mean or what it would lead to. But, but I think the bravery was that part of me that has survived and thrived, you know, um, despite whatever I've been through and whatever I, I experienced at home. I appreciate that. I love that. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So, Brenda, thank well, you for Well, this has been really inspirational for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I was just going to say thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast um, today. And so, thank you again. And, and this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Tune in next time. Please make sure you subscribe, follow, and share the podcast. Don't forget to rate the podcast, please. <laughs> all right. So we will see you all soon. Thank you again. And bye-bye. <laughs>